This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Michael Brown, the president of the National Chicken Council. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by CHS Inc. CHS Inc. is a leading global agribusiness owned by farmers, ranchers, and cooperatives across the United States. CHS is diversified in energy, grains, and foods and committed to growing their business through domestic and global operations. What does it mean to be relevant in today's global agriculture marketplace? To CHS, it means having the people and facilities in place to deliver U.S. grain to a feedlot in South Korea or investing in energy production and distribution to help ensure dependable fuel supplies for our local communities. In fact, we've invested more than $1.4 billion on our owner's behalf to make sure we stay relevant now and into the future. To learn more, visit chsinc.com. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Our guest this week is Michael Brown, the president of the National Chicken Council. There are a number of positives with regard to the poultry industry. First, domestic and global demand for meat continues to grow. Second, feed prices are at a fraction of record highs just a few months ago. And third, the industry is poised to increase both flocks and production. Brown says the future for poultry is bright. I think the poultry position today is in a in a very good position. Uh, I think you've seen uh, uh, sales increasing not only domestically but worldwide. Uh, I think you've seen the the pricing structure uh, beneficial to the uh, chicken industry this year. And I'm very bullish on uh, on opportunities for for chicken moving forward, both domestically and and throughout the globe. Our population is changing quite a bit in this country. Uh, we're even seeing, you know, more dark meat consumption in this country in addition to what we uh, sell abroad. There's also tremendous trade opportunities that are out there. We see uh, a TPP potentially being negotiated, a TTIP negotiated, and we also see um, the African uh, uh, growth agreement that will be, be negotiated next year. So all markets that we uh, that we relish an opportunity to have a presence in and to increase our presence. Well, I talked to Philip Singh a few weeks ago from the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Obviously, we discussed the growth of the middle class and what could be the, the birth that we, we might say even of the protein generation, where at one time we were just looking at having enough crops to feed the world, and, and now as the middle class grows, a greater demand for protein. Does that spell opportunity for the U.S. poultry industry? It sure does spell opportunity for our industry and for animal protein in the world and of all the animal proteins in fact any protein uh, what other protein can you bring to the plate in seven weeks I can't think of another uh, animal or, or crop that you can bring to people so so quickly and efficiently and at such a nutritional value you mentioned the, the, the trade agreements that are being negotiated and we'll go there before that the headline has been Russia and their retaliation toward Europe but especially their retaliation toward us how is that affecting the poultry industry? Is that a market that you can find another resource to satisfy that demand? Well, anytime there's a disruption in the marketplace, uh, it's concerning and there's cost involved, and particularly when those disruptions are, are non-scientifically based. But, uh, yes, to answer your question, there are other opportunities and other marketplaces for this product. And one of the benefits of the way uh, we had the foresight to see the Russian situation coming, we saw that play out over the course of a number of weeks. So while we expect media reports to be fairly accurate with Brazilian product finding its way into the Russian market, 
Uh, we do business with over 100 other countries. At one time, as you know, 40% of our exports went to Russia. That's down to 7% today. And where the Brazilian product flows to Russia, that's going to move product from other countries that, that they were designated to fill those needs. So uh, our folks are out there looking right now to, to fill those orders and to open new markets. What about the Trans-Pacific Partnership? Obviously, there's some concern about the Japanese and some holdbacks that they have about giving us market access there. But if the TPA could come together, what would it mean for U.S. poultry? Well, I think it's, again, a great opportunity. I think actually most of the problems in, uh, in TTIP are, are related to the other meats and not, and not so much for, for chicken. But if, uh, if that agreement was to go forward, we would be able to, I believe, make the case for moving even more of our protein in there. And if I could just roll back to, to Russia for a moment. At the end of the day, and you're right, the product is going to find a marketplace, but the real loser at the end of the day uh, in the Russian situation is going to be the Russian consumer. They'll be paying a premium for those Brazilian products because they know that our product is now blocked out. And I've seen reports where um, the Russians have had up to maybe 3% uh, inflation to date just in several weeks. And by the end of the year, I believe it's the Russian bank uh, statement that I read here within the last few days that can see inflation overall upwards of 9%. So that's where the real problem is going to be experienced. From the Trans-Pacific Partnership perspective, again, most of the disagreements, as you suggested, are about industry and product other than poultry. But if the Trans-Pacific Partnership were to come to an agreement... What opportunities or what doors would that open for you that perhaps aren't open now? Well, clearly, it would, the focus would be on Japan and further opening up the, the Japanese markets there. And in addition you know, to chicken products, there's a, a heavy accent on, on pork and, and, and rice concerns as well. But it would definitely open up the, uh, the Japanese market to us. In the trade deal with the European Union, is, is there hope there that that would provide opportunity for you? Well, absolutely. There's there's great hope there that would do that, and we would hope that what we could come to is a consensus uh, under the phytosanitary standards and get away from um, many of these uh, obstacles that the Europeans have put before us that, again, are not related to food safety. Uh, and uh, so we think that's a great opportunity. What phytosanitary barriers or just out trade restrictions are standing in the way now of you gain, of you gaining greater market access in the world? Well, probably the greatest uh, problem in that area, and, and it relates to Europe, is uh, antimicrobials and, and chlorine rinses. And which countries does that affect? Uh, that would affect uh, the, the all of the EU marketplace for us. Where do you feel like science is on your side with the with the debate over the chlorine dip? What what do you see that it provides as an advantage for food safety, and and where do you feel like perhaps they're misguided? We feel we have over 50 years of science on our side. 
uh, being used as an antimicrobial in our products. Uh, and I, I can't think of a scientific body uh, over the course of those 50 years that has not deemed uh, this, this safe. The science is, is on our side. So while the Europeans dip their children in the pools, uh, and it's quite safe, and other food products that get to them are, uh, we see this as just, just strictly a trade barrier. Talk about inspection standards here in the U.S. There have been discussions about that, and I, I know that that is ongoing. How do you feel that we're functioning with poultry uh, inspection, and, and what are the directives that some people want to take it? Well, the inspection standards in this country are, are, I would argue, the gold standard of the world and have been. Uh, uh, with the Food Safety Inspection Service uh, in our plants on a daily basis, uh, uh, the, the rules and regulations that are set forth, are there's no more stringent regulations in the world. Now, we've just recently seen the publication of the poultry slaughter rule, and uh, we believe, and the industry has worked, uh, worked with the government uh, for many years on this. We've participated in that pilot program for 15 years, and we were very excited to take place in an opportunity to move food safety standards and regulations forward uh, to, to modernize them. Are they going to let you move line speeds as quickly as you might like to? Well, we were we were disappointed certainly uh, in the proposed rule. Uh, the line speeds were supposed to be 175 uh, birds per minute, uh, per minute, permitted. And what we've seen is a rule come out that currently holds the vast majority of plants to a standard of 140 birds per minute if they choose to operate at that level. Uh, that's concerning to me for several reasons. A, the program's been in place for 15 years. When we've looked at the plants that have participated in that model for 15 years, there's two profiles we really focused on. One, the profile to our workers. And what we've seen from uh, the Bureau of uh, the Department of Labor, BLS statistics, is that the worker safety performance in those plants were equal to or better than plants with traditional inspection. The second, and I really shouldn't say second, it's, it's the top two issues, is the food safety profile. And again, the um, product produced in those plants uh, met or exceeded the traditional inspection food safety numbers for, for pathogen count. So you have a 15-year sample here, and uh, the, the food safety and worker safety profile is equal or better than. Also, if you look at countries like Europe, Brazil, Canada, Argentina, they're countries where they process at 200-plus birds per minute. So there really was not a food safety issue here. I think this was a, uh, a situation where uh, certain political constituencies of, of the inspectors' union uh, clouded the issue. So if you're limited to 140, how will that affect your industry domestically compared to the rest of the globe that you're competing against? Well, we're certainly at a, at a competitive disadvantage from that aspect, uh, but still, when you look at, at, at the U.S. and our ability to, uh, to raise and process chickens, nobody, nobody can compete with us. All right. Let's talk about another issue, and it's not just in poultry. It's been all over the livestock industry, and that's questions about antibiotic use. Where is the National Chicken Council in that debate, and, and where do you see this directive going? 
with regards to antibiotic use, you know, we applaud FDA in 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 their current efforts to show a science-based, responsible uh, path forward on on approving antibiotics. Um, you know, appropriate antibiotic use can keep chickens healthy, just as the use of these types of medications advance to healthy human beings. And contrary to popular belief, antibiotics are not always used in chicken production. They are administered to prevent and treat diseases and only under the care of a licensed veterinarian. So, and the majority of antibiotics approved by the FDA for use in chickens are not used in human medicine and therefore don't pose any threat of resistance. So we are um, supportive of FDA and working with them to make sure this is done in a scientific and judicious manner. Well, the FDA phase-out, are we moving in a directive that would perhaps um, bring into question the the health of the overall poultry herd? Well, that's that's a concern, and that's why industry is working with them because you don't you know you don't want to jeopardize the, the health of, of of the entire flocks out there, uh, in in any of the livestock sectors. So we have to be very careful in making these decisions, and that's why a gradual look at this or a phase out is 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 the way to go. You just don't pull the curtain down. All right. Let's talk about growth because in the meat case there's always been a lot of competition, but we look into situations now where the uh, the beef herd is the smallest that it's been in decades. Obviously the pork uh, industry has been challenged with ped free and other issues. I think some believe that the poultry industry would come roaring back with larger production and higher flock sets. Where are you today and 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 what do you hope to be able to accomplish? Well, I think there's tremendous growth opportunity for for chicken in in the meat case here in this country, uh, also through food service and also through through the export markets. One of the greatest challenges we have, typically, we have responded with about a four percent increase yearly in most years since 1915. A lot of people would say, "Well, why didn't you do that last year?" But if you look at the last five years in in poultry production and processing, they've been very challenging, and the number one challenge that we have faced has been uh, the renewable fuel standards and where the feed prices had been. And over the course of the last five years, you've seen tr- uh, a tremendous consolidation in our industry. Uh, you've seen uh, the sale of uh, several major companies to foreign interests as well. So with that, and, and with the tremendous pressure and the tremendous feed costs that our industry experienced, you saw the breeder stock um, contract. And you just can't turn this on like hot water and cold water. So with the cutback in the breeder stock and now the market signals we're seeing, most industry analysts would predict that probably spring of uh, 2015, we would see the breeder stock back at a level where we could see more historic increase in production. We had an awfully cold winter, and we also had a propane shortage there for a period of time. Did that affect you? Yes. The uh, the cold weather did affect us greatly and uh, with the propane, and because, as you know, that's used to keep uh, many of those uh, barns uh, warm out there. We had tremendous concerns with uh, the, the health and welfare of our animals. And, uh, and and getting those to market. Uh, so um, we're concerned about that heading into this year. We don't know what type of winter we're, we'll have. 
We know we'll probably have a, a bumper corn crop. Uh, when does the corn start coming out of the fields? Since it was a very uh, seasonable uh, summer, how much propane is going to be needed to dry out those uh, those seed stocks for feed? So uh, with a cold winter on top of that, it, it it could make things uh, quite interesting. Our guest on Open Mic this week has been Michael Brown, president of the National Chicken Council. Brown expects the focus of the Congress between Labor Day and the election to be centered on a budgetary continuing resolution to keep the government running from the beginning of the fiscal year through the new election. Brown says the outcome of the election will determine what's on the agenda for the lame duck session. And despite lower corn prices, Brown and the National Chicken Council continue to call for the elimination of the renewable fuel standard. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by CHS Inc., a leading global agribusiness owned by farmers, ranchers, and cooperatives across the United States, diversified in energy, grains, and foods, and committed to growing their business through domestic and global operations. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Kelly.